Hello, hello, New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and today I am so excited to be here with author and like Renaissance woman. We can talk about that part too, Tara Elroy. And we are talking about her love and disaster trilogy, Haven, Harbor, and Hope. Hope is one of the books that we will be talking about, and that is coming out next month in December of 2023. Tara, welcome to Arts Respond. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks, Lucy. I love chatting with you, and I'm always happy to chat about fiction, activism, and hope. Yes, yes. And and romance. So like it might get a little steamy up in here and that's okay. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I actually love romance novels and I feel that they're very underrated. And that is actually where I'd love to begin because earlier this year, I was very inspired by your participation in a panel during Elm City Lit Fest, which is a wonderful celebration of literature and specifically literature across the Black diaspora that Ife Michelle Gardine has um, sort of like launched and helmed for the past couple of years in New Haven. This year it was at Stetson Library in the Q House. And one of the things you and a panel of other women spoke about is the fact that like romance often gets the short shrift. And I think that's a hundred percent related to the fact that it's read read and consumed and paid for mostly by women, right? (laughs) Written by women, yeah. Right, yeah. If we were talking about like books about football, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right, right. Um, and and so I want to jump in and talk about specifically for you, why romance is an exciting genre, both to consume, but then of course also to participate in. Wow. Well, I mean, romance novels offer hope and healing. They show us what's possible if we're willing to change and grow. And to me, that's super exciting because they're empowering They're empowering for women specifically, but also for the men who choose to read them. That's right. And specifically, can you tell me, so I know we've had you on WNHH before, but it's been a minute. So can you tell listeners, you know, how specifically you got into climate related romance? Because this is a niche that is very, um, unfortunately, extremely timely. We live in a warming world, right? But also it's, it's a niche there. I mean, there are lots of different kinds of romance. um, And I think this is one of them, but to the best of my knowledge, like you're one of very few people doing it and you do it well. Thank you. Um, Yeah. It's because I spent 11 years as a journalist and I was covering mostly environmental issues, mostly related to agriculture, but I also covered electronic waste and composting and a variety of other things. And um, and I also really love love stories and love chick, chick lit and chick, um, well, whatever, rom-com movies. And so at some point, it just occurred to me that I could merge these two passions of mine and actually maybe reach a bigger audience. So that is one of the things I want to talk to you about. And and something that I think you mentioned during Lit Fest earlier this year, for better or worse, I would say for worse, a lot of folks are not ever going to read that article in that peer-reviewed journal, or even if it's not a peer-reviewed journal, even if it's a mainstream publication like the New York Times, like the Washington Post, 
Um, even if you're able to read something without a paywall, I've heard from so many people like, oh, that's just, it's too much of an inconvenience or it's too much of a heavy lift, which as someone in the media, like it also kills my spirit a little bit, right? Um, just to think that maybe people aren't reading, but so I'm wondering about this question of reaching a wider audience. Did you feel a sense of urgency when you were writing as a journalist? Um, and, and then realizing that maybe folks were not read, like reading this reporting that you were putting your whole heart and soul into. Yeah. I mean, I did. However, at that time, I also felt like we had more time um, the scientists who I was interviewing were saying that things would get really bad by 2050. And this was 2015. Um, so in, when I was real, I mean, I started as a journalist in 2007, but, but you know, I was having like more of these climate conversations in 2015, 16, and 17. And so, so it just seemed like we had more time. But by 2000, at the end of 2017, moving into 2018, I realized that um, I had to I had to reach more people faster if I could. And for you, like where, how are you, because I, I will say part of these books and we'll get into the trilogy specifically, um, like there is a sense of um, fear and there should be like climate change is scary y'all if if you haven't gotten on board like get on board with that (laughs) because it's very very scary and it's affecting new england among like i was going to say many other places but the entire world yeah right um the world is literally on fire and and on fire yeah um but but the books also have humor and they have hope and i'm not just saying that because it's the title of one of them and they have romance and they have sex and they like these people live full lives. They don't just cower in fear. And so I'm wondering um, sort of where you're able to place yourself within this like a scary and warming world mm. and then where you're able to then place your characters. Cause if you're not okay, your characters aren't going to be okay either. Right. Yeah, I mean it's that's probably true. <laughs> but um but in terms of I mean I think if if I am hearing your question correctly you're you're basically saying like how do we move through this scary time and how do we how do we do so um and keep our heads up instead of cowering and huddling under blankets and listen, you know what? Sometimes that is what you need to do, like take a day and and lie on the couch. But um, but then you come back because um, you realize that, you know, cowering in fear isn't going to change anything. Right. So the crucial thing for me, I think, is we can take our power back. And that's what I encourage people to do. That's what I hope my books encourage people to do. My characters tend to be larger than life. It's the artist who creates the national exhibition to raise awareness about climate change. Probably most people are not doing that. You know, it's it's the epidemiologist who is doing research into 
the um, health effects of farm chemicals on farmers and their families. There is actually a scientist doing that, and that's what I based his character on. Um, but but most of us are not that person. But that doesn't mean we are powerless. We can take our power back in many, many ways. And I've actually posted just this week um, on my blog, uh, girl, take your power back. And <laughs> it, it's a it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a start of ideas for you viewer you lucy and me to remind myself to uh, to act these are things that i can do if i'm not already doing them these are things i can do these are new things these are things i can keep doing so i would encourage everyone to take a look at taraelroy.com and and look for that post girl take your power back so tara let's get into the trilogy itself Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard a little bit about your writing process, which includes a rowing machine, if I'm yeah. right. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but did you always know that you wanted it to be a trilogy? Because that's like, that's a big commitment, right? It is. Yeah. So when I was writing the first book, that I was not planning a trilogy. It was meant to be a standalone. And then somewhere when I was revising it, so I'd already written the first draft, <laughs> But uh, and then at some point I realized, oh, no, this needs to be a trilogy. And then I had, you know, had to kind of do a little backpedaling with book one in terms of planting certain seeds. And um, and then I planned forward into the next two books. And, And talk to me about your process. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's there's kind of the two part. There's the overarching process, which is, you know, an idea comes, I think about the characters, I research. I research the science mostly because all of my books have real science in them. Any, any science that you're reading in my books is accurate um, and based on interviews with actual scientists of varying types and lots of reading and other things. Um, so anyway, I do the research into the science and then come up with more of an outline for the book and then start writing. And once I'm in writing mode, then the rowing machine <laughs> comes into play um, because I uh, I turn on my voice recorder. I hop on the rowing machine for a minimum of 20 minutes at six days a week and I row and speak the scene and uh and then I finish and I transcribe it gives me a first pass at editing and it's a really effective method for getting a lot of words out I actually doing that method I wrote the first draft of hope in about three weeks so that's that's pretty great (laughs) yeah I mean and then and then I spent months revising also of course yeah (laughs) no of course and and I want to talk about you know, how, like, how has the trilogy evolved? Because I know when I ran into you a couple of weeks ago at an event, you said, like, you feel like you have also grown so much as a, as a writer, but also like, as a, so I write uh, not fiction, like reporting is, as you know, having done this work, very different. Yeah. But I think one thing that is similar is when you return to something over and over again, 
you feel like you get to know these people. And in reporting, it's it's real people in the real world. Mm-hmm. And in fiction, it is not real people, although usually it's people who are based on real people in the real world. And this is, I think, especially true when you're doing the research and talking to scientists. And so, which is another part of your process that I'd love to talk about. But, you know, but do you feel like very connected to these characters at this point? Well, I do. And it's funny because yes, they're based on real people, but no, they're not. Like Josh, who's the hero in Hope, um, all of his work is based on the work of a Stanford chemist named Eric Apple. And, um, and he created a real wildlife prevention solution that actually works. I have seen it work on video. It is being used in parts of California. Um, so that that is real. I would hate for anyone to read my book and think that Eric, whose science I took and whose scientific method I took is like Josh as a person, right? So, you know, I will ask questions like, like I did ask Eric, you know, what's your friend group like? Um, Because I wanted to know, like, is he, you know, like artists, it seems like we hang out with a lot of artists. and, and maybe that's not always the case. Maybe that's just here. But I do feel like we kind of seek each other out. Uh, if you're working in a lab, obviously you're hanging out with scientists all day. But then is that who he's hanging out with at home? And he was like, no, my friend group is really eclectic, you know, and, and my wife is not a scientist, whatever, all these things. So so that's as far as I went with like his personal life. I wanted more when I'm, when I'm researching um, a character I want more to get a sense of how does someone in this field think about things? How do they view problems? How, what kind of language do they use? Because we do tend to bring certain phrases and words from our work lives into our just daily conversation because we're used to thinking that way. So that's what I'm looking at. But then Josh, the character who um, you know, cheated on his girlfriend. Like I, I would, I have no idea about Eric's marriage. Um, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to know. So, so those are very different. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. And, you yeah. know, also thinking like climate change is so big. And um, I think that's one of the reasons it's so scary. And each of the books in your trilogy sort of takes place against the backdrop of a different aspect of climate change. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that and hope specifically, can I, am I spoiling anything if I, if I say a little bit about it? Um. So, I mean, it, it depends on what you say, but I think not a little bit, if you say a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so hope specifically takes place against the backdrop of the California wildfires. And, exactly. Yeah. And I think um that for us in New Haven, and obviously like you could not have planned this when you were writing, but I think for us this year, if not before, was really a wake-up call because in uh I think June, July, we had the scary, hazy sky. Um, for days because of the wildfires in Canada. And so seeing how climate change impacts the world and, you know, you might not be worried about something happening over in Alberta, but whoopsie doopsie, 
suddenly the wind, like the wind is going to have other plans and we are kind of like on this planet together and we have to share it. So I'm wondering how you chose different aspects of climate change to focus on in each of these novels. That is a great question. And so it requires me to think back years, <laughs> which, but, um, but so Haven, the, um, the disaster, and it's called the love and disaster trilogy because each, each book features a climate disaster. Um, and then of course, love in the midst of disaster, love is your haven, harbor and hope. Hence the names uh, for the books. Um, but Haven, um, features a superstorm, And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't remember why I chose that particularly, but I think it had to do with because much of that book takes place on a farm and I had spent so much time with farmers and ag researchers learning about the things that devastate a farm, um, that that made sense for that book to talk about agriculture and regenerative agriculture um, in the context of a love story, in the context of a climate disaster. Um, and then somewhere along, so that was, ooh, so that was 2008 and 19, I guess, when I was planning and writing that. And then when did I publish it? 2021. But then also in 2000, so then when I started thinking about the next two books, um, I went to a conference in um, at Columbia University and the whole theme of the conference was managed retreat, meaning how do we plan to safely and, um, you know, as, you know, least dramatically move people away from the coastlines where they are in danger, right? And so at this conference, um, which was two or three days. I remember I stayed in New York for it, so it must have been three days. Um, at this conference, there was a panel talking about Louisiana and the Louisiana coastline and the first climate refugees from the United States were from Ile-de-Jean-Charles, Louisiana. So I became fascinated by that and, um, and fascinated by the idea, this is the one book that doesn't have scientists as main characters. There's a doctor and there's a, a family therapist who specializes in disaster resilience. And I became fascinated by that because on that panel, people were talking about the burnout that people in the helping professions feel in areas like Louisiana, where they have been hammered over and over and over again from, you know, at this point, like almost two decades with increasingly more traumatic storms. So um, so I went down, thanks to Eric Epstein and Karen Gilberg, I got to go to Louisiana, stay in their home uh, and do my research there. Find, I drove out to Ile-de-Jean-Charles. And what's crazy is that when I was doing the final edits on the first draft of Harbor, which is the book that's set somewhat in New Haven, but mostly in New Orleans. Um, as I was doing the final edits on the first draft, I was like head down, not paying attention to the news. And then when I emerged, I discovered that Hurricane Ida had destroyed Ile-de-Jean-Charles 
it's like it's gone now. So that um, that was pretty astounding for me. It's not that I couldn't have predicted it, but I could not have predicted the timing of my work coinciding with that. Um, similarly with the wildfires, I started thinking about a book about wildfire in 2019 because there were all those fires in the California had been besieged by fires for like three years at that point. Australia, the Walimi National Forest was absolutely, you know, a disaster. And I was trying to get to Australia to research, um, but I needed grant funding and I did not get the grants to go. And then as it turned out, you know, I would have wanted to go in 2020 and I wouldn't have been able to anyway. So, but the still the idea remained and, um, and it actually took a little longer to get that book rolling because I couldn't go somewhere to research and I needed, I wasn't sure what, how I would be connecting the fire into the story. I didn't know what the science would be yet. So it took a while to find a researcher who was doing the, the kind of work that I was looking to represent. Yes, so let's, let's also get into hope and your work on hope. Um, and it's funny, cause when we were off mic, you said the concept of the book. And I was like, let's talk about both. Yeah. Uh, but but the you know the book specifically um and this couple at its I, I want to talk about the couple at its core. Yeah. Yeah, Josh and Celeste. I love them so much. <laughs> I love all my characters. They're like family. <laughs> They're a little bit me, a little bit people I know, a little bit whatever. Uh yeah. So what would you what would you like to know about Josh and Celeste? So I don't want to give too much away because I'm a big fan of people being surprised when they read, when they pick up a book and, and they read literature. Um, but, but I would love to talk about like how, like how they were born in your, you know, like how these folks come into being and then also how they balance. And and one thing, so um, I'm in the process of reading a proof of this book. And um, one thing that, you know, like, it's so, it's it's scary because, again, climate change, I know I keep saying climate change is scary, y'all, but it is, yeah. um, is how um, sort of almost like commonplace the fires seem to have become, mm -hmm. which we know is the reality for a lot of people who are already living with this, right? right. Um, but it's like, oh, yeah, there's ash on my skin. And it's like, well... <laughs> no right. it's I, I think at one point I I was like no when you know vocally when I was reading the book and so um so also like also balancing all of those things and how you can be living in this time of total climate crisis and then also like second guessing your you know decisions you've made to like maybe impulsively send a letter or oh, yeah. or um, or like thinking about people on your research team at work and balance, like balancing all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time. Yeah. So, and just out of curiosity, how far into the book are you? It'll help Not me. that far. Okay. It, it was my goal to read the whole thing. And that didn't, I am growing a human, like for, for what it's worth. I just <laughs> want to say, I haven't been sleeping. Oh, and I, yeah. 
So um, that's fine. It's okay. Yeah. It's good yeah. I didn't expect you to actually read the whole thing before this week anyway. I didn't even know if you would have time to open it. So, oh, so I like romance though. Like you've got that working in your favor. So yeah. <laughs> I, love I think everyone should read your books, by the way, just like shameless plug. Yes. Yay. Read my books. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy, for saying that. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, I'll, I'll give like the kind of the basic rundown of it for people. So here we go. Um, Hope, Love and Disaster Book Three is an angsty second chance redemption romance set against the backdrop of the California wildfires. His betrayal set their relationship and their lives ablaze. Desperate for its second chance, Josh is determined to become the man Celeste deserves. All Celeste wants is to escape wildfire country and the man she wishes she could stop loving. Can love help them rise from the ashes? One reason we read romance is we know the answer is always yes. <laughs> and, and we need that. I mean, that's partly why I can write these books. It's And it's why people come to romance. Because you can experience this really wild, painful sometimes ride with two characters. But you know at the end, they will have their happy moment their happy connection the happy ever after right or the happy for now and knowing that they will come together at the end keeps you reading gives you that sense of hope and is uplifting when when the book is over so um so yeah so Celeste, here we open with celeste sending a letter to the woman she hoped would be her mother-in-law and it's not a nice one she's pissed and and then she regrets it. <laughs> so then and she immediately regrets it. Like plop goes the envelope, and then she is like, oh my God. Um, and yeah, Ash is falling on her skin. This is one of those weird details that I learned from watching YouTube videos about people who were living in these areas with the fires going around. And uh, and then I had Eric the scientist read all of the chapters where there was any sort of reference one to his science but to to you know hiking in the mountains in California at this time is it realistic they're going to be you know ash is going to be raining down is it realistic that and he just yeah he's like yeah looks good yep 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 oh no fix that huh. well and I also want to say like Celeste is really relatable like how many times or maybe that, that was just to me um, like how many times have we done something impulsive and then thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Yeah, I mean that is <clears throat> that is definitely something that I <laughs> I felt I felt like was relatable too, and and I have gotten that that sense from other you know beta readers and things. Um, so I'm sorry, I kind of I went off on a tangent. You had a more specific question that I think. No, I, no, I would love to know just just about like how like how your characters are born, and so you talked a little bit about this, but. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, they're born in so many different ways. Sometimes it's like uh, a, a phrase comes to me, like a line of dialogue comes and I'm like, oh, who would say that? Like, why are they saying that? Um, sometimes it's a scenario. Um, you know, I, I 
encounter someone in real life and I kind of, or I watch people in real life and I, I have this, like, I play it out in my head, like, oh, if this were a meet cute, you know, then, then ha- what would happen, you know, and that can be really fun. Um, with Josh and Celeste, yeah, I think um, with Celeste, I I was looking, I was thinking about women feeling imposter syndrome, and uh, and I had experienced infidelity myself, and it was excruciatingly painful. Um, I couldn't eat for months. I couldn't sleep for months. Um, and I mean, I, I forced myself to eat, but like, I didn't eat a normal amount of food. I just couldn't. Um, and, and I started looking for romance novels that dealt with this experience of going through infidelity, wanting to work things out with your partner. And I was having trouble finding any, but I found two and they had been written, um, decades ago. So, Uh, So there were certain things, you know, that just didn't resonate. But what was bizarre to me was that there was the same scene in each book, um, which you'll know when you get to it, when you're reading the book. So that's all I'm going to say. But this, uh, this particular scene was something I experienced. And and to read it in the first book just felt so validating of my experience. And then to read it again in another book written by someone, you know, somewhere else a decade or two later, it was like, wow, okay, this must be a thing that happens. And uh, and that was when I knew that I had to also write a book dealing with this. And, uh, and it just it's made so much sense for that to be in the book about wildfires, <laughs> right? You know, so, I mean, at least in my mind, it made so much sense. Um, so, yeah, so that was how Celeste was born. And, um, and I, and I had this feeling of like, geez, how can I write romance novels when, this is happening in my relationship. Like, what right do I have? And um, and I thought, well, who else might feel that way in their work if they've experienced infidelity? Well, a relationship coach. And not just any relationship coach. A relationship coach whose face is on the cover of magazines because she's so successful. Like, <laughs> so... And there's also this irony there of like that that is also very relatable. And I am clearly not a relationship coach. You don't want me to coach you on your relationship, y'all. Like bad things would happen. Um, but but that's also very relatable where sometimes you feel like, you know, the outward facing, and I'm not saying you, Tara. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying you like the general you that mm-hmm. occupies the world. Um Sometimes I feel that I have to project this image of like, I have it totally together. And then my life is like falling apart, right? A little bit. Yeah. Or maybe a lot of it. Yeah, um, maybe a lot of it. Yeah. So so I think that is also like your your characters are fun and relatable. And then also living through this very um, like, like horrific moment that is unfortunately upon us. 
It is. And and I think and you asked earlier, like, how is it that I can write characters who are living full, rich lives in the midst of these terrible things happening? And I mean, I can write those characters because that's real. There's emotional truth there. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Esther Perel's work. And that's something that she was talking a lot about in the first year of the pandemic that like there's there's something called disaster arousal, where if you're in the middle of like a horrific disaster situation, oftentimes that can bring like a sexual charge and you want to be physically intimate with someone. And, you know, I don't actually remember why that is, but it is, it is a real thing. So again, that's like, just fits so nicely into a romance novel, you know? Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I remember the New York Times running a piece, I think on all of the babies that like the timing coincided with Hurricane Sandy. Um, And so I think there is some, and like, we are mammals, right? We're animals at the end of the day. Sometimes people don't like to talk about that, but I think there is something about like the world is on fire. Let's, you know, let's, let's like be mammals, right? Um, Let's let's do like bunny rabbits and a a little bit. Um, So I was like, "Mm, can't use certain words because of the FCC. So I want to shift just a tiny bit, but still talk about hope, both the book and the concept. So Tara, we know, and you've mentioned this a little bit in this interview, that the best writers are also voracious readers. And I love that on your website, you sort of have this like virtual bookshelf that people can look through. And also just like shout out to the fact that Bell Hooks is chilling with like Adriana Herrera and Bev Jenkins. Like it's a great um, sort of mix of, of books too. You've got a really nice balance. Um, so I want to talk about the the authors who inspire you to keep going because I I think all authors, maybe this is just me, I think all authors and writers have days where like they're like, I'm this is it. Yeah. My bandwidth, my bandwidth, she is finite and she has fizzled out. Oh, and so who are the writers that keep you going? Oh wow. Well, right now I'm reading Alyssa Cole. And uh I just I don't know, have you read her work? Okay. Yeah. So she, um, the first book that I read of hers was set during, um, uh, it's like an underground railroad book. So, um, very different feel from the books that I'm reading now, but her writing is beautiful. And I am now reading the reluctant Royals series. So it's, you know, it's contemporary and she is so funny. I mean, I I was listening to it in the grocery store yesterday. Someone actually came up to me and was like, can I have what you're having? (laughs) I said, I'm I'm reading Alyssa Alyssa Cole. You have to find her books. Um, Adriana Herrera, as you mentioned, is another one. Um, Sarah McLean is uh, huge for me. It's funny because I don't gravitate toward historical romance, but I love her writing and um, I love the way that she thinks about story. In fact, she wrote two redemption romances, not dealing with infidelity, but other ways that the men had just totally bungled their relationships. And um, actually, no, one did, was there was infidelity, but it was beyond that. Um, and 
so both of those books I used as some like as uh, inspiration. I studied how she constructed those stories, and um, and so that helped me as I was constructing because it's a slightly different. The character arc feels different with a with a redemption romance, you know, because you're starting with it all. It almost starts as like an enemies to lovers, but then you can't just like charm your way in. Like if someone's cheated, you can't, they can't just be like, Hey baby, you know, it's all good now. No, it's not. <laughs> no, bye-bye. So, so, um, so I learned from her. Uh, yeah. And Beverly Jenkins is fantastic. Um, and in terms of relationships, I actually have, so as you mentioned, you can go to my website and see my little bookshelf also in the, um, in the author's note at the back of hope, there are a list of resources. So if anyone is experiencing, you know, relationship difficulties, whether it's infidelity or something else that's just causing a lot of pain, um, I definitely encourage people to get help. And uh, and I have some resources in the back of the book in the author's note. Um, but Terrence Real wrote a book called Us that I just think is fantastic. Um, yeah, and he offers a course. It's, so I also want to ask you, like, how do you practice? So you're an author. You also do some like writing coaching and, and teaching around writing. You're also a mom. Like you wear a lot of hats, right? Yeah. Um, how do you practice self-care? How do you take care of yourself in this world? Yeah, it's so crucial, Lucy. Um, I practice yoga every day. I meditate every day. Those are like the first things I do once I'm half awake. Um, and, uh, and I exercise, you know, rowing, um, I take a lot of walks. Um, and when I can, I combine the things like rowing and recording a scene, right? So, um, or I'll record while I'm walking. Um, because it is, it's super important to take care of yourself. It's what uh, you're worth it. Like, you know, you deserve to feel good. You deserve to have health and well-being. And um, and I believe that when we do that, we are more able to be available and caring to the other people in our lives, whether it's for, you know, the cashier at the grocery store or the beloved person we're sitting across from at the dinner table. I love that. And, you know, as our, as our time together is winding down, I also want to say, like, what are your discussions with people like when you're talking about obviously this trilogy and about writing, but also about just like ex existing, right? Mm -hmm. Existing in this world um, where we, I, you know, I, I feel very lucky you are a New Havener and we live in a really special community where I think we take care of each other. And that isn't always the case. Yeah. Um, but, but what are your discussions like with people when you're talking about just like existing in this world and hanging on in this world? I mean, the, wow. That's a huge question, Lizzie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You have like four minutes. Um, geez. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I encourage people to take care of themselves. I talk about how I do. I, um, 
depending on who I'm talking to, you know, I may be more or less vulnerable about what's going on in my life. I've definitely had some very challenging situations this year specifically. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, and I talk about the importance of like taking your power back and not waiting for other people to change, not waiting for institutions to change, changing yourself, you know, altering your own behavior. Like when I need, you know, am I altering my behavior or am I demanding that someone else change theirs? I've certainly spent lots of time demanding that, you know, this partner do that or this friend do that or you know this relative change that and then at some point I realized well why am I giving them power over my happiness you know if I know what my needs are and I can meet whatever needs I can meet and if I'm asking them to meet a need and it seems like a reasonable need and they're not interested in that, maybe it's time for me to walk away from that relationship. And similarly, like with climate change, you know, if we're asking a corporation to make a particular change and they're not doing it, well, maybe it's time to walk away from that relationship. Maybe I don't need to shop there anymore or, you know, whatever. So I think that's that's kind of a huge thing. I, I think, um, you know, one of the reasons hope is so important is it gives us the sense that our actions matter. And when we trust that our choices matter, then we are more likely to be careful about those choices. And we are more likely to take action when needed, when we know it will actually make a difference. Yeah, I think that's true. Tara Elroy, First of all, thank you for joining me on Arts Response. I feel like we could talk for four hours. There was this whole thing I wanted to ask you about because I know that someone in one of your critique groups said that women over 40 don't have, or people over 40 don't have sex. I know. Um, They do. And it's fun. Yeah. Well, as someone who is like rapidly approaching the age of 40, I was like, well, well, um, (laughs) news to me. Um, Sorry, this is a little spicy. Um, Um, so I definitely have to have you back on. I want folks to know how to find you. So before we go, um, I think the easiest way to find you is probably your author website, which is Tara, T-A-R-A-L-R-O-I. So that's T-A-R-A-L-R-O-I, one word, dot com. I got it. That's super great. Um, but you are also on the Instagrams. Um, as Tara underscore L underscore Roy underscore author. Yes. Um, and you know, what's fun is that if you're at my website and you go to the contact page, amazing. it has the links to all my socials. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The internet is an amazing place, everyone. So right. Right. yeah, it's also a very scary place, but that'll be a whole, whole other episode. <laughs> Tara, I want to thank you. And um, when can folks, can folks pre-order your book? Yes, yes, please. That's what I thought. Yeah, you can pre-order. You can pre-order the ebook. For some reason, I don't think you can pre-order the paperback. But um, but the the ebook, 
is available both for Kindle and all the other ebook platforms. So the links to that should be on my website. <laughs> if they're not, I will fix that when I get off this call. Um, and um, yeah, so so please do that. Hope comes out December 21st. And uh, if you love to support local bookstores, go to your local bookstore. If they don't have it, ask them to carry it because they absolutely can. Um, you can buy it on Bookshop, uh, bookshop.com. And, uh, and of course on Amazon and, uh, and you can also borrow it. And I really encourage people to support their local library. Also, when you go to your local library and ask them for one of my books, you're supporting me and I super, super appreciate it. So, <laughs> and shout out to the New Haven Free Public Library, which is, um, maybe the best resource in the entire city of New Haven. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we love the New Haven Free Public Library. I will say also the New Haven Independent, uh, which is such a blessing, has been running lists of like new books coming into the library. Nice. And so, which is really, really cool. It's something that they just started doing, I think like two months ago. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is that if you go up to a librarian at any branch, so there are five branches of, of the library, you say like, hey, I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. I looked it up in the catalog. Um, it either said that this book was missing or it said that you didn't have it yet. And I'm really interested. I don't know, like the library, the city does not fund the library enough. However, I have never had a librarian say to me, we're not going to order that book for you. <laughs> good, good. Um, and just so people know, I don't go in and ask for like 10,000 books. It's not, I'm not the problem, y'all. Uh, but um. But if, if you want to have this book in the library, and you should because, Tara, you're a local author, and how cool is it to have a local author at the local library, right? Yeah. It's just really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, yeah, so, so borrow, yes, absolutely. Borrowing books is a great and very climate-friendly way to go. Yes, um, but if you're going to buy it, buy two. Give one to a friend. <laughs> or, or to a librarian or both or to a librarian yes absolutely <laughs> and um since you did mention local bookstores can folks keep an eye out for this at possible futures at Atticus at some of our beloved New Haven bookshops I certainly hope so <laughs> but I'm not sure um <clears throat> but if you ask them for it they will definitely get it in for you I know well, that Lord, yeah Lauren Anderson Charlie Nagaro if you're listening to this Order some copies of Hope, y'all. Thank you, Tara Elroy. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is beautiful outside. It's also unseasonably warm, but I will say enjoy the sunshine while we have it. It disappears every day around 5 p.m. and that's too early for me. Me too. But yeah, you too, Lucy. Thank you so much. I love thank chatting you. with you always. <laughs> yes, yes. I have to have you back. I, I'm all for that. Yeah. Take care. You too.